work after leaving their three-day hotel quarantine, if they take precautions. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Live across Hong Kong, this is Radio 3. Morning, it's 8.03 in Hong Kong. This is Peter Lewis welcoming you to Money Talk on Radio 3. Here are the business and finance headlines for Wednesday the 10th of August. Following the decision to cut Hong Kong's quarantine requirements for inbound travellers from seven days to three days, the number of bookings for flights to Hong Kong increased 249% on Monday from a day earlier, according to data from trip.com. Outbound flight reservations rose 176% from the previous day, the data showed. US President Joe Biden has signed into law the Chips and Science Act, which commits 280 billion US dollars to high-tech manufacturing and scientific research, amid fears the country is losing its technological edge to China. The investments include tax breaks for companies that build computer chip manufacturing plants in the US. And companies that take such grants from the U.S. government will not be allowed to expand their semiconductor production in China or any other foreign country of concern for the next 10 years. Beijing's military announced on Thursday its naval and air force would continue military drills in the waters and airspace around Taiwan after five days of unprecedented live fire exercises. The drills were originally supposed to have ended on Sunday. The PLA gave no indication of when the operations might end. The China Passenger Car Association is forecasting that the mainland will sell a record 6 million electric cars in 2022. That's an increase of 500,000 units from its previous forecast. And the increased forecast represents a doubling from last year's 3 million NEV sales. And economic growth in the Philippines, slowed by more than expected in the second quarter. GDP grew 7.4% in the three months through June from a year ago, down from 8.2% in the first quarter, and missing economists' forecasts for growth of 8.4%. Compared to the previous quarter, sequential growth declined for the first time in a year, falling by 0.1%. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Asian fund management industry consultant Stuart Aldcroft, Alicia Garcia-Herrero, Chief Economist for Asia Pacific and the Tixis, and RTHK's international economics correspondent, Barry Wood. Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. On Wall Street, US shares fell Tuesday ahead of key consumer price inflation data due for release later today. The S&P 500 slipped 0.4% to 4,122. The Dow shed 58 points, or 0.2%, to close at 32,774. The Nasdaq Composite dropped 1.2% to 12,492, dragged lower by chip makers following disappointing second quarter results from semiconductor manufacturer Micron. Shares of Micron fell almost 4% after the company warned that revenue may fall short of its prior guidance because of macroeconomic factors and supply chain constraints. And that follows weaker than expected revenue guidance from chipmaker NVIDIA on Monday. Shares of NVIDIA dropped 4%. The Pan-European Stock 600 Index fell two-thirds of 1%. London's FTSE 100 rose 0.1%. In a roller coaster session yesterday, shares in Hong Kong ended the day in negative territory. The Hang Seng Index overcome early losses, 
to finish 0.9% higher at lunchtime, but then surrendered the advance to end the day 42 points or 0.2% lower at 20,003. The tech index fell 0.9%. On the mainland, the Shanghai Composite rose a third of a percent to 3,247. The mid-morning turnaround in Hong Kong was given a boost by the property sector after Executive Council convener Regina Ip told Bloomberg TV that Hong Kong is considering waiving double stamp duty for mainland Chinese home buyers. The Hang Seng Property Sub-Index jumped 1.8% following her remarks. New World Development at one point gained 6%. And Sun Hung Kai Properties, Henderson Land and CK Asset went up by more than 3%. However, those stocks gave up all their gains after the Financial Secretary Paul Chan's office released a statement saying that there had been no discussion on the matter and that it didn't plan to reduce property taxes. In the commodities sector, Brent crude oil settled 0.7% lower at $96.31 a barrel. Gold is trading at $1,794 an ounce. Ahead of the US inflation report, the yield on the two-year Treasury note, which is particularly sensitive to interest rate movements, rose five basis points to 3.27%. The 10-year yield added three basis points to 2.78%. And the spread between, between the two-year note and the yield and the 10-year yield continue to widen, with the two-year yield rising further above the 10-year. The inversion now stands at minus 49 basis points. That's the highest level since the year 2000. The US dollar is unchanged on the day. The euro is trading at $1.02. The bucks at 135.8 Japanese yen. One British pound buys $1.20 and three quarters. Nine Hong Kong dollars, 48 cents. The Chinese yuan is at 6.75 and a half versus the dollar. Bitcoin dropped two and a half percent to $23,100. And taking a quick look around the Asia-Pacific stock markets, the ASX 200 in Australia is down a third of a percent. In Japan, the Nikkei 225 is off 0.9%. Cosby in South Korea down two-thirds of a percent. And futures markets pointing to a loss of about 50 points for the Hang Seng at the Open this morning. It's 8.09 and a half. It's Wednesday morning. It means it's time for our regular commentator, Asian Fund Management Industry Consultant, Stuart Allcroft. Morning, Stuart. And good morning to you, Peter, on this beautiful morning full of rain and wind and... bit wet and windy outside, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, but it's OK. It's all right in here. Yeah. Also with us on the phone, Chief Economist for Asia Pacific at Natixis, Alicia Garcia Herrera. Morning, Alicia. Hi, Peter. Good morning. And over in Washington, D.C., we have our international economics correspondent, Barry Wood. Morning to you, Barry. Good morning, Peter. Uh, Things uh, don't get too wet and windy over there. We're used to this here. No problem at all for us. At least we've got some rain. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Stuart, let's start with you. Let's talk about Taiwan. These um, these military drills around um, Taiwan are now, uh, well, they've continued for five days. Looks like they're going to continue longer. They were supposed to originally um, have ended uh, on Sunday. Uh, The PLA's Eastern Theatre Command said they're to prepare for operations of joint defence and a joint blockade of, um, of Taiwan. So I'm wondering, is, is this now going to be the new normal following Nancy Pelosi's visit, increased military activity uh, in the Taiwan Straits and this constant testing of Taiwan's defensive capabilities? 
Uh, you know, I think, um, and, and you know, this is probably a little bit controversial, so I'll be careful how I say it. Um, I think China had been waiting for the opportunity to carry out such a set of military drills for quite a long time. Um, they've, of course, you know, we, we, we know that uh, President Xi Jinping has made clear that he wants to take back Taiwan at some point during his presidency. And um, so the opportunity to have drills on how they could do it, run the exercises, have the Navy, the Air Force um, run, uh, go across into the space, make blockades, etc., etc. I mean, I think that's all been something that they've, they've clearly had it on the, on the drawing board for quite a long time. And so the opportunity to go out and actually do it must have been very welcomed by the military leaders. Um, and, and, of course, the excuse being Nancy Pelosi going to visit Taipei. Now, of course, that, that's, that's the, the sort of China side of it. I, the, the one thing that has concerned me a little bit, I suppose, is the extraordinary cost that must be involved in all this. They must be spending billions and mm. billions on, on it uh, at a time when probably most of the rest of the world would think there would be better places to spend the money, especially in trying to get rid of COVID. And wasting a lot of its armory as well. Well, of course. It's, it, it, I mean, they're, they're using up a vast amount of armory, and I dare say they've got plenty in reserve. But um, the fact is they're, they're sort of trying it all out. They're out there every day with uh, dozens of airplanes and, and, and warships and, and thousands, tens of thousands of military personnel. Um, they, they have to pay them anyway, but, you know, the point of it is that uh, when they sort of uh, set off their, their rockets and and artillery, uh, this costs money in the end. Mm. Um, there are better things that people would want to have their money spent on, no doubt. But uh, the opportunity to practice something that they would like to carry out at, a, at an appropriate time, no doubt, um, could not be missed. And that's exactly what's gone on right now. Alicia, if this situation isn't uh, de-escalated soon, what, what are the economic repercussions of this? Because Taiwan plays a very crucial role, role in the global uh, supply chain, doesn't it? Because it supplies uh, 60% of the world's semiconductors. Yeah, that's right. Actually, we'll be publishing a report on exactly this thing today just to argue that uh, the commercial bans, import bans that China has imposed on Taiwan are really not uh, as harmful whatsoever. It's only 0.2% of total exports from Taiwan. So that's not what the action is. The action really is about potential blockade, and as you, as you just mentioned, the PLA even talks about joint blockade. I'm not sure what joint really means, because this is really, I guess, a unilateral effort so far. But the point is that that de facto blockade, for the mere fact that it's very hard to, to circulate uh, in, in the Taiwan Strait, is a, is a major risk for the global economy. And this is because not only semiconductors, which is clearly the case that everybody, I think, by now understands that risk, especially for advanced semiconductors, is close to a monopoly, and this is the mm. in particular, but, but also LNG. Because yes. we have a lot of vessels going to South Korea, Japan. Mm. So, you know, this will have, uh, amazingly enough, additional uh, reverberations on on energy prices as far as North 
Asia is concerned, and, and mm-hmm. that's quite important. So this is coming at a bad time because this this could fuel even more inflation at a time when um, in inflation is already surging in many parts of the world. That's right. Uh, that's the semiconductor part on the one hand, uh, because these are inputs to production of a huge number of uh, sectors, most of which, by the way, are ICT sectors, so Internet of Things, um, electric vehicles, and it so happens that most of the production or, or activity on those sectors happen in Asia. Mm. So um, China is the largest importer of semiconductors, China itself. So in a way, what I'm trying to say here is that it could eventually be even a self-inflicted uh, shock. Uh, and I think that's why China is being careful about how it carries out these drills, which looks threatening, but not to the point of truly block, blocking the straits. So mm. that's where the, I think the trade-off lies. And again, it's a bigger shock for Asia, and I will finish here just by adding that we are actually, as we see, in the downward um, trend of the uh, uh, ICT cycle. Mm. Uh, we have overcapacity already, quite a few uh, less advanced semiconductors. So, you know, this is coming on top of that. Uh, so, so it's more of a bifurcation. High-end, Taiwan-dependent semiconductors will balloon in price, in my view. But then we will also have, you know, uh, negative uh, impact on demand globally, affecting negatively the rest of the ICT industry in Asia. So it's a big, big shock, a big shock for Asia, a negative mm. shock, obviously. And I'm not sure that the repercussions of that have been fully appreciated yet <laughs> here in the region. Um, Barry... Nancy Pelosi has been and gone. Um, does the U.S. have any plan now for what it intends to do next to help Taiwan to deal with the um, the fallout from her visit? Because you could argue <laughs> that Taiwan's now in a worse position than before she arrived. You said it, not me. <laughs> I agree with you. No, I don't think the Americans have any idea as to what comes next. I was watching Miss. Pelosi on television not too long ago, talking about her Asian trip. She thinks everything is just fine. And uh, look, I think Alicia is right to focus on semiconductors. Uh, Taiwan is the center for not just memory chip production, but TSMC is a very important company. Mm. I think they're going to get some American uh, largesse in terms of that uh, CHIPS Act. Uh, putting an additional factory in the United States. So let's just hope there is no conflict because uh, you've got a small economy relative to China and the United States that is really vital in this one area, Mm. semiconductors. The the U.S. and China had already been decoupling before this latest set of incidents, but is this now um, accelerating that that decoupling and maybe even leading to a, a much more broader split? No, I don't see it. I don't see it. You know, look, I spend a fair bit of time in Walmart and a fair bit of time in Home Depot. And uh, I'm a guy who likes to uh, reach for the tools or whatever and look and see where they're made. My goodness, it's all made in China. Not all, but of course, 70, 80, 90 percent. So the economic relationship, I think, is essentially unchanged. Yes, I know that the tariffs remain and Joe Biden hasn't done anything on that. But uh, this economic relationship, uh, we're each other's biggest trading partner. And by the way, I, I was looking at the statistics just on Taiwan versus China. 
I mean, the United States does $559 billion worth of trade with China and about about one about 90 billion dollars of trade with taiwan so what's you know that that gets like five to six times bigger just in terms of the bilateral trade so yeah this is an important place Stuart, what does this mean for shipping it's, it's causing quite a bit of disruption isn't it because uh, a lot of the world's ships um i think more than half of the the large container vessels pass through the taiwan strait so it's adding to delays it's uh, some ships are struggling to get into uh, quite uh kaishung port in the south of the uh, south of the island where a lot of the semiconductors are exported from is this going to have more disruption shipping has been very badly disrupted for the last uh, 24 months, uh, not least because of the uh, location of containers, which were all in the wrong places, and, uh, and they couldn't be re- refilled, uh, etc. Um, the fact that they couldn't go through the Taiwan Strait doesn't make a great deal of difference, because they can go round the outside of Taiwan. It might add a day to, to, to the journey, but it's only the journey if it's going up to Shanghai or along ports in China, and it is mainly shipping that is going to China rather than to Taiwan that is going to be affected. So my, my guess is that um, the, the, the PLA and the, um, the Maritime Division of, of, of that is not going to want to disrupt shipping that would actually be beneficial to China rather than to anywhere else. Hmm. Um, but, but, of course, uh, picking up stuff from um, uh, Kaohsiung in the south of, of Taiwan, where a lot of the a- a- exports are sent from, that, that's going to be marginally delayed. My guess would be that quite a lot has already gone out anyway, um, and that, uh, yes, it'll, it'll, be, it'll take a time to pick up again. But uh, overall, my, I, I doubt it will have a major impact on shipping at this stage. What what impact, uh, Malaysia, does it have on Taiwan's economic growth? Because Taiwan's economy the last couple of years has been quite a bright spot, hasn't it? Uh, Both in the Asia-Pacific region and and globally, partly because of uh, its reliance on exports. But is that starting to change now? Yeah, I mean, it started even before uh, Nancy Pelosi's visit, I have to say. The second quarter GDP was disappointing. And there's two reasons for that. One is what I just mentioned, that the ICT cycle is, is, is not what it used to be, and this is synchronized um, deceleration, economic deceleration globally, um, and a lot of stockage. So, you know, there's been humongous amount of, uh, of uh, piling up of, of uh, semiconductors, and now, you know, they we're starting to use what was piled up, and that's not good for Taiwan. The other reason is domestic demand, because there's been a wave, a COVID wave, since uh, late April here, quite strong one, and that has already hit uh, very clearly uh, consumption. So these are the two reasons. On top of that, uh, of course, uh, SME, especially in the agro, uh, food industry, fisheries, uh, will uh, will be affected by the export import bans from China. But as I said, that's that's not the biggest part, the most important one is sentiment, yeah, investment. Uh, foreign companies in Taiwan may fear, especially European, because, you know, Ukraine is in their mind. Uh, should they stay? Should they not? Should they start relocating people? I think all of that is going to, maybe not, you know, balloon, but I think it's going to creep up 
uh, as we speak, as the uh, drills continue over time, the military well, drills. Well, one aspect I think we, we, we also should be alert to is the fact that, uh, as Alicia has pointed out, um, you know, Taiwan is a major exporter of uh, semiconductors, chips, but so also is Korea. And um, Korea, it, it was interesting to read last week, for example, Samsung, which is the le- second largest producer of um, chips, is putting in factories into the United States, but is also not getting away as many exports as it is, had planned. So I think that they probably have a position where they can gear up a bit more than the, the, if they think there's going to be a shortfall coming from Taiwan. Um, so I think there could be some benefit for Korea out of all this, um, and, uh, and how that will work, uh, mm. I'm far from clear, but at least you know there are choices out there. Barry, tell me a bit about the Chips and Science Act, which uh, President Biden signed into law uh, today. Uh, it seems to commit around, what, 53 billion US dollars into semiconductor manufacturing incentives in the US, and then another $200 billion for research into other things like artificial intelligence and, and the like. Uh, what is this going to do uh, for US's semiconductor industry? Because it has really fallen behind, well, it's hasn't provide, it? First of all, a lot of money. This is a lot of government money, and that is uh, welcomed by the industry, whether it's Intel, which really pushed hard for this. Uh, And Intel, of course, has been on its back foot for a very long time. Micron, NVIDIA, uh, and then, of course, you mentioned Samsung and TMC. They're going to get some of this money, too, if they put plants in the United States and promise not to put them in China. Mm. Uh, This largesse is going to assist just in terms of... um, making new plants, new fabs, go forward. Intel had essentially said, look, if we don't get the CHIPS Act through, which was opposed by many Republicans and some Democrats, by the way. This, a lot of people said this is just money that, you know, private companies should be coming forth with their own source of financing. Mm-hmm. But they said, Intel, we're not going to put this plant up in Ohio, outside of Columbus, unless we get the CHIPS Act passed. Mm-hmm. So I think, really, look at $30 billion over five to ten years, It is, of course, conditioned on building factories and promising not to have new factories in China. I think that's all we know at this point. And I just will mention the trivial, which is President Biden, who had a real victory on this, he had trouble getting his jacket on today. His wife had to come over and help him with his sport jacket. But uh, look, this was a victory for the president. It was a victory for the Democrats. And I think it's it's a victory for American semiconductor companies. Is is it going to help um, close the gap? Because if you go back to 1990, the U.S. produced about 40% of of the global supply of semiconductors. That's now dropped to about 8%. Will this help close that gap again? You're right. But anybody who's uh, looked at the history of this kind of technology knows the semiconductor was developed in the Silicon Valley. Mm. And uh, they went offshore because they could get higher quality and lower cost. And so the Americans, uh, you know, lost leadership. Mm. And no one paid any attention until there was this trade problem with China. Uh, how long is it going to have and to take before we see a result? I think two or three years. Uh, will the Chinese be stopped from moving ahead on these very advanced uh, semiconductors and, and processors? I doubt it. Anybody who looks at uh, just across from you at Shenzhen would say, my goodness, they move very quickly, and why would... Uh, you know, certain companies saying we're not going to help you, why would that stop the Chinese? So Mm. we shall see what this does, but it gives a very 
pronounced public boost to states like Arizona, California, and Ohio that want these new plants. Stuart and Alicia, um, America's sanctions on China and its chip industry have had an impact, actually, haven't they? Because uh, there is definitely a frustration in Beijing that they've put all this investment uh, into trying to develop their own uh, semiconductor industry. And so far, um, it, it hasn't really worked. They're still very dependent on the West. They haven't been able to fend off these U.S. sanctions. What, what's gone wrong? One of the bigger well, issues that's gone wrong has been that there's been a high element of corruption involved, um, and a number of the people who were charged with responsibility of uh, developing the chip industry in China have been arrested and, on corruption charges. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've, been put, um, they've, they've spent very large amounts of money trying to build factories. They haven't been able to compete. They haven't got the, they haven't got the ability to compete with uh, what Korea and Taiwan are doing. So um, I think this is, this is holding them back quite considerably. Alicia? Yes, sorry. Um, I wanted to add something on the positive note for the U.S. since I keep on reading that they've, you know, they've lost it on semiconductors. Actually, the U.S. is still the largest uh, by far, in what is harder for semiconductors, which is design. Uh, mm. Taiwan is, is indeed the best in fabrication, by the way, with the help of the European ML from the Netherlands, mm. which is the lithography part. So it's not really only about Taiwan or South Korea. I think nothing of what we think could have happened without the U.S. The only thing that has happened is that because of cost and lack of engineering and so on, Production has gone elsewhere, and Taiwan has been able, as, as well as South Korea, to put up the massive capex that was needed to develop the fabrication, which is much more capital-intensive than design. That's mm. what it is. But the minute you have the money there, I think it's feasible. And finally, China is actually well, very strong on the assembly see, Alicia, point, but I, that's I, the easiest I, to I think you're onto something. I really do agree with you, but, uh, you know, there was a comment from, uh, I think it was the fellow at Samsung, or was it um, Taiwan Semiconductor, who came to Arizona, where they're in the midst of construction, and said, you know, what is this talk about the Americans beating us in semiconductors? He said, it's absurd. It's just not going to happen. And this was, you know, the friend of the United States and a company that was really owes its existence to the American computer industry. And by the way, Alicia, you're also right. Look how many products that come out of Silicon Valley that simply say designed in the USA (laughs) because they're made elsewhere. Uh, Alicia, China spent a lot of money, though, hasn't it, on trying to build up its own domestic semiconductor sector over what over a hundred billion dollars, but still can't break its dependence on the West. Yes, I meant to reply to you, sorry, on the issue of, of uh, how successful this, this whole big fund. And indeed, corruption is one of the reasons, but it's not the only reason. U.S. has, has lots to do with, with that uh, uh, so far failure as far as at least moving up the ladder is concerned, I, uh, design and fab. Because, um, for example, for Huawei, who is doing very well on design, the sanctions have literally obliterated any attempt to move forward. So I do think sanctions have been instrumental. I don't mean to say that they are right or wrong because I'm nobody to judge that, but there is a, a causality uh, mm. 
from the sanctions to the actual success in very specific projects, especially up the ladder, design and, and fab. Okay, thank you all very much. You heard there Alicia Garcia Herrero, who's Chief Economist for Asia Pacific at Natexas, uh, Asian fund management industry consultant Stuart Oldcroft, and our international economics correspondent Barry Wood. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Uh, let's have another look around the Asia-Pacific stocks. The ASX 200 in Australia is off about 0.4%. The Nikkei 225 in Japan down about three quarters of a percent. The Cosby in South Korea also falling about 0.7%. And the Hang Seng is set to open about 50 points lower uh, later on this morning. I'll be back tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock with Money Talk. Coming up after the news next is Back Chat with Jim Gould and Danny Gittings. The weather forecast, strong east to southeasterly winds, occasional gales offshore and on high grounds. Um, at first, it is going to be showery in the next couple of days, although there will be sunny intervals early next week. The strong wind signal number three is in force and is expected to remain in force until at least uh, noon today. The temperature right now is 28 degrees and it's 82% relative humidity. Time's 8.32. Here's Andrew Shorosky with the Half Hour News. Thank you, Peter. A hotel operator says they've received more than a 1,000 inquiries since the government announced on Monday that it would have hotel quarantine for inbound travelers to three nights. Mail Vastine, the director of operations at Ovalo Hotels, says 14 guests for shortened stays had already checked out of its two hotels, with a further 43 expected to leave today. He said the quarantine change might bring in more business people, but probably wouldn't make much difference to leisure travelers. The decision may bring in more business travelers and uh, those coming to visit family and friends, but will not substantively change anything for the leisure guests, as they will still likely choose other destinations until there is no quarantine at all. So it will not be enough to return uh, Hong Kong to its position as one of the world's truly global destinations. So we hope quarantine will be completely gone before the Hong Kong 7 returns in November. National Security Police say they've arrested two men they suspect of violating the sedition law by posting social media messages promoting ill will between different classes of Hong Kong people. Here's Mike Weeks. The men aged 28 and 29 are suspected of posting the material in a social media page they manage. Sources say the suspects work in the Home Affairs Department and the Office of the Government Chief Information Officer and that they are the administrators of the Facebook page Civil Servant Secrets. In a statement, police said officers also investigated five other men, two of whom were arrested for fraud. The sources say they are ambulance personnel under the Fire Services Department and were suspected suspected of involvement with posts on the Facebook page. The force said police searched the officers and homes of the seven men with a court warrant and seized communication devices. The four suspects have been detained for questioning. Officers say more arrests could follow. The Hong Kong Observatory says the strong wind signal number three is likely to stay in force until noon, but it's unlikely to raise a higher signal unless Tropical Storm Mulan strengthens significantly or edges closer to Hong Kong. The storm is expected to come no closer than 350 kilometers. Kindergarten classes and schools for disabled children are suspended today. And overseas, several explosions have shaken a Russian military airfield in western Crimea. The head of the local administration, Sergei Aksionov, said one person had died in the blasts. He said the cause of the explosions was being investigated. 
It's too early to talk about the reasons behind the incident. The investigating committee will find out. First of all, we've taken measures to secure the perimeter. There's fencing, police patrol cars, foot